You are listening to a new episode of Empathy Always Wins, the world's exclusive leadership and mental health show. My name is Ali Salama, and I am truly honored to bring a new episode speaking about the power of resilience, mental toughness, and pretty much understanding a lot more on how to develop mental toughness. Um, today, it's a it's quite a new way we're doing this podcast episode because I will be having a co-host and she's someone you guys are familiar with who has been on the podcast before uh, with, and she's part of Hat Consultants. So she's been on the podcast before on another episode uh, really dissecting the first mental health and leadership event series in the Middle East and North Africa region. Her name is Amrika Bagaita, and it is our absolute honor to be introducing someone who is not just considered to be a thought leader in the mental toughness sphere. He is one of the most recognized and the most innovative test publishers in the world as the CEO of AQR International. Um, he goes by the name of Doug. Unfortunately, I can't pronounce the second name, but hey ho, Doug is one of the most fascinating people that I have been able to speak with, uh, with the pleasure of being introduced to via America. Doug has worked with Professor Peter Klug and Dr. John Perry for 25 plus years to define mental toughness and to create the world's leading measure of mental toughness, the MTQ. He is the co-author of the leading text on the concept and its application, Developing Mental Toughness. Doug is now recognized as the leading authority on the applications of the framework to the worlds of work, education, social mobility, and coaching. He speaks regularly at major conferences and events on the importance of mental toughness in improving well-being, agility, performance, and managing aspirations. And just a quick note, you guys have to be on the lookout for Doug being on our Mental Toughness series, which is happening at the Capital Club Dubai. My mind is spinning as I'm saying all this, but this is the first leadership and mental health series in the entire Middle East and North Africa region. It is the first live event for me personally, and I couldn't be more amped and more psyched to be able to make sure that this cultural shift starts to take place in a sustainable manner, in a manner that we can finally touch. The invisible is becoming visible, as Doug says in our conversation, which we'll dive deep into right now. But thank you so much for tuning in to Empathy Always Wins. This is a message out to all our listeners because we finally surpassed the 80,000 download mark and it, it, it's just overwhelming. So if you guys enjoyed this episode, please feel free to give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends, but also make sure to make sure to share it with your friends and also make sure to stay tuned for more episodes because Doug will more so like, because we will, we will definitely be having more fascinating, curiosity-driven and, and thought-provoking conversations around leadership and mental health. So with that being said, let's dive deep into our episode with our co-host, Amrika Bagaita, and the one and only Doug. Doug, Amrika, thank you so much for coming on 
this episode of Empathy Always Wins podcast. Um, it's, as I was just saying off the air, it's so refreshing to be able to um, be with such experienced individuals speaking about something I believe is extremely relevant and extremely important in today's day and age with the amount of uncertainty and uh, and the ambiguity that we're facing, especially coming from a, you know, a business performance and mental health perspective. So um, I just, again, want to say thank you so much for coming on board and, uh, and, and, and a little bit uh, about, uh, I, I just love to share the, the, the stage with Doug before we dive into a little bit more about AQR, mental toughness, psychometric and assessments that AQR does. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background in, in, in the field. How did it start with you? Who is Doug? And, uh, and why is it important to, 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 to really embark this journey, especially in today's uh, age where uncertainty is at, a, at an all-time high? Okay, well, thank you, Ben, and I'm really, um, it's a pleasure to be with, with both of you. I'm really, really looking forward to this. There are a number of aspects, I think, to um, responses to your question. The first one is a very personal one. My parents were <clears throat> Polish refugees after the Second World War. So they ended up in Britain, couldn't speak the language, um, were really, I suppose, poor, quite disadvantaged financially. And yet somehow they managed to prosper as a lot of immigrants do. And I learned a lot from them. I learned that there was always opportunity and I wanted to understand why I was able to prosper in my life. Where it, when a lot of my friends we, who I was at school with couldn't. So I wanted to understand that difference. And then about 30 years ago, I came across Professor Peter Clough and Peter Clough is the godfather of mental toughness. And it's been my privilege, he's a personal friend now, he's involved in the business, and he and I have basically taken an idea he was fascinated by. And he was originally interested only in the world of sport. He understood, as a lot of sports coaches do, that you can have two talented teams, but the lesser talented team can win, and can win because there's something going on in their head that isn't going on in the head of the more talented team. So he wanted to understand that. And bit by bit, we understood it. And then we realized it didn't just apply in the world of sport, it applied everywhere. And that was a magic moment for us because then it became <laughs> my mission. You know, it's like, um, I've always been impressed with the Coca-Cola mission statement as to put a, a, a bottle of Coke with the arms, within the arms reach of every person on the planet. I want to do that with a mental toughness concept. Yeah. So I've got a per, very personal reason for, for wanting this uh, concept to really thrive. And Doug, tell us about, I mean, of course you founded, the, the company was founded in 1989 from what I understand. Well, so how, has or what have you seen or how have you seen the concept of mental toughness evolve during those you know during those years it's a long period of time do you see much change do you see a lot of um you know uh, differences um well you know what can you tell us a bit about that well originally we were a business that is like a lot of conventional uh, consultancies and we were fascinated by psychometrics because here was the opportunity to measure something, to measure personality. But 
again, I, we started the business in 1989, and funnily enough, Peter joined the business as a very young psychologist in 1992, and that's how I got to know him. And okay. Peter, you know, in our conversations, Peter would often question things, and even things that are relevant today. There's an, a lot of HR and OD practice that has sort of been practiced over the years for which there's little or no evidence. It is just a matter of faith. So bit by bit, Peter began to challenge some of the things we were doing and, we were, and began to sit up and say, well, hang on, he's got a point. Now, so we also began to realize there was this missing link. And so this is coming back to the earlier question. A lot of the focus and attention, as you know, in business and HR is on behavior. We talk about competency frameworks all the time. And to understand behavior and to develop behavior is important and it's very relevant, but it's missing something. Behavior is describing how we act when things happen. But what we're really interested in is why do we act the way we do when things happen? And that's about our mindset. So for years and years and years, I think the world of HR and OD has been focusing on the visible. You can see behavior. Yeah. You know, and that's quite not too difficult to grasp. And, you know, and I certainly know when we, we've introduced assessment centers into the region and mm. you know, it's a very popular thing to do. You can put people through exercises and observe their behavior. But what you can never do is understand why they're behaving the way they do. And that's the missing link. And what we're beginning to see now, whether people are coming from a resilience perspective or mindset, people talk about Carol Dweck, or a positive psychology perspective, people are trying to understand this missing link. But I actually think that with our mental toughness concept, <clears throat> we've been able to pull all of that together and create a fairly comprehensive understanding of what this missing link is. So I think what we're beginning to see is a transition. We're beginning to see people <clears throat> beginning to focus on the more fundamental questions. We're also beginning to see people focusing on moving away from typing instruments. So the, the one thing about the mental toughness questionnaire, it identifies eight factors. And what that enables us to do is to identify 40,000 different profiles. So, you know, when you work in an organization, there's a temptation sometimes to treat everybody in the same way, put everybody through the same program. But actually, the reality is we're all different. We're all nuanced in different ways. And a lot of psychometrics are quite valuable for starting a conversation, but they have little value beyond that. So we wanted to develop something or get into something that had value all the way through the process, you know, from um, assessing what somebody's like through to identifying which interventions work best for them and why through to you know assessing well what difference did i make for them and when you get a complete uh, solution for a client like that that's what they're really interested in they're not interested in a slice of information at a point in time all useful very interesting but we've really got to move on the world of hr training coaching to another level. So uh, we, we're seeing that kind of migration. The other thing we're beginning to understand is true evidence-based practice. Uh, again, you know, you see lots of organizations 
put, putting testimonials on the website saying so and so <laughs> said we're a wonderful company or our training was fantastic and that's all kind of interesting but it's not evidence you know yeah. um, what we want to know is this is what the company wanted to do this is what was achieved and this is why they achieved it and that's the bit that we're filling in that's that is another missing link in in the whole of that world so we're beginning to see a transition and it's been led by bigger and bigger organizations you know the, okay. the ones with most resources are sort of understanding it but the interesting thing about what we've been doing is that the payback when you approach it in that kind of thorough and proper way is much greater than the kind of hit and miss development activity that we've been used to yeah. perhaps perhaps i one thing that you touched here is, uh, you know, there's this argument where you're either born with with it, with the with the toughness mindset, with that. Because I'm an athlete, and I, I think that it's very biased of me to uh, to say that uh, I I'm I'm a representation of any demographic other than the sports demographic, knowing that I've trained for 14 years of my life very intensely. So I don't know other any other. Uh, sort of personality or I don't know any otherwise mm. but have you seen that this sort of grit or mental toughness can be developmental i.e can be developed and can be harnessed and how have how have the psychometric uh, testings uh, proven to like increase that over time is there something that perhaps AQR also with the testing are there programs that are developed and of course evidence-based as well how how do you work with top tier um, level managers to enable them especially because and I, and I mentioned top tier or executives because typically we find that when you're a little bit older it's harder for you to change it's harder for you to 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 change your habits and to change that mindset so uh, maybe from an elite uh, peak performance standpoint how how does AQR work with 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 executives? Wow, that's quite quite a question. That's got there's a cluster of questions in there. The first bit is, um, are you born with mental toughness, or can you develop mm -hmm. it? And the answer is, I should say, we work with lots of universities. We're very evidence based. We're very proud of that. And the University of Western Ontario in Canada did some genetic work, and they found that a poor proportion of your mental toughness is genetic. So roughly half, I mean, we're not being precise here, but about half of it is environmental. It's the result of your experience. If you've, you've learned to either be mentally tough or mentally sensitive, mm. which means you can do that bit can be developed. So if you developed in the first place, it can be redeveloped. Mm. So we know that mental toughness is a, a, a what they call a plastic aspect of your personality yes yeah, so some of it is a given or maybe but some a big chunk of it can definitely be developed but even the given bit we know we might even be able to do something about the genetic uh, component but with that that's perhaps for another time but going back to the question about developing mental toughness the mental toughness is actually a spectrum. You've got mental toughness at one end, and these are the people who kind of breeze through life and you know, <laughs> they deal with problems in their stride. And you've got mental sensitivity on the other end. And these are people who, are, who feel every bump on the road. And there's a temptation to think of them in terms of good and bad, and that's totally wrong because actually the mentally tough can often fail. 
The mentally tough can often fail because they think they're so good, they can't see why they would fail. And of course, they, they, hit, they can hit uh, roadblockers easily as anybody else. The mentally sensitive, funnily enough, can have advantages. They're creative in a different way to the mentally tough. They, they're often more intuitive, um, and the mentally tough tend to be more logical. That has got a big message for diversity. You know, that's, that could be the subject of another uh, session like this because writing them down, we often focus, writing them down. <laughs> yeah. well, we often think of diversity in terms of skin color or gender. <laughs> there are other kinds of diversity that are probably more important. You know, the mentally tough person often looks down on a mentally sensitive person. Yet the mentally mm -hmm. sensitive person will often have loads of qualities they can bring to a situation and they're dismissed because they think in a different way. Diversity has got to embrace that as well. But coming back to developing mental toughness, you only should develop your mental toughness if you want to. And so a big part of our work is not about saying you should be more mentally tough. It's about this is who you are. That's, that's the power of the psychometric measure. That helps us to understand who you are. That helps then somebody to reflect, to say, well, if that's who I am, these are the implications. And if these are very significant implications, perhaps I should do something about it. But you have two options. You can either change your mental toughness, you can, or you can learn to cope with your mental sensitivity. You can stay as you are, because you might actually like being who you are, but you realize that there are problems. We can't all be the gold medalist but we can all be winners. And that's really the uh, the focus of attention. The, the person wow. who- <laughs> I'm writing the that down again. <laughs> well, the, the person who pioneered the concept, the modern version of the concept, is a uh, famous American sports coach called Jim Lower. And even though he was engaged with world, with Olympic gold medalists, with Wimbledon champions and so on, he still described it as, being the best version of you that you can be. We're all different. We've all got different mixes of qualities and skills and abilities. And yeah, I will never be a world record holder at anything, but I can still be pretty good at what I do. You know? mm. Mm. Dad, Dad, what's that? You know, you said something really interesting. You said that it's having that self-awareness and acknowledging who you are at this point, but then reflecting on it and I guess, and understanding that uh, the implications as well. So what could be those implications? Like, you know, if, for example, if you have those, um, you know, a, a, a room full of people, some, you know, the alphas, the, the, yeah, the yeah. ones who shy away from conversations, etc. or if something harsh is said and how people take it, you know, what are some of those implications? And I think this might touch a little bit into um, the report, uh, the, the um, announcement today um, in terms of COVID and the impact, uh, for example, of job loss with mentally um, mm. tough individuals versus uh, the opposite and how they handle stress, etc. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I mean, we've been kind of doing this for quite a number of years now, even when people didn't really believe that in what we were doing. Well, what we've learned is wherever you go the the application or the the concern of whether it's an individual or an organization lies in four areas 
and it's almost become a mantra for us it's often performance people either want to do better or organizations want to do better and mm-hmm. that is often the primary focus of attention for for most people but mm-hmm. in recent times there's something else that's come along and that's well-being yeah and people are very concerned about their well-being so well-being is now a big issue but actually when you think about well-being and performance they're just two sides of the same coin you can't mm-hmm. perform if you've not got good good mental health and yeah. you know if you perform you actually feel good so you solve your mental mm-hmm. health problems so the two actually interrelate and the third area which is also very relevant to covid and to the modern world is agility to be able to respond positively to the pace of change we've always had to deal with change you know going back thousands of years we've changed but yeah. right now things happen so so quickly that some people can't deal with it effectively mm-hmm. but others not only can deal with it they love it and you know i'm a particular example of this i like change because Wherever there's change, there's opportunity. Um, I'm out there ferreting around looking for it. And the fourth area is about aspirations. And that's, um, you know, the positive psychologists will talk about happiness. We don't like the term happiness. Um, Others or the um, psychologists will often talk about contentment, knowing that I'm on a journey through life. Every day I will grow. I will become better. I'll be more, I'll, I'll, be achieving some form of satisfaction in my life those are the four things that everybody talks about i can almost say you know, i do the traditional thing that i go and see a client i say you know what's uh, what's going on what what you what are your problems what where are you looking for a solution mm. it always comes down to those four areas okay so so you, you you've also mentioned that today is a very special day because um one of the things that people have obviously been looking at is what's been the effect of COVID on mental health of um, people in the global population. And there is some work that shows, there was quite a lot of work that shows that one of the big impacts of COVID is that generally people are feeling more stressed, more anxious, more depressed, and it's leading to all sorts of uh, well-being and mental health problems. But we also know not everybody is responding in that way. And the University of Huddersfield, in collaboration with the people that I work with and using one of our measures, um, has gone out and done the studies. It's it's assessed a lot of people, I mean, hundreds of people, assessed their mental toughness and assessed through a self-report system their feelings of stress, anxiety, depression. And they found, as we hoped and expected, a very strong correlation between mental toughness and those negative factors. Essentially, what we can see is that the mentally tough deal with COVID and all its downsides much better than do the mentally sensitive. So there is an argument there that we should be, first of all, making people self-aware about the responses to the pressures that COVID brings. And secondly, we should be helping them to develop themselves to be able to improve their responses. But of course, you have to start with self-awareness. If somebody doesn't understand why COVID is impacting upon them, then 
you really can't make much progress until they do. And so the, this piece of research, which is quite unique, it is the first piece of research of its type anywhere in the world, is a major step forward. It is a big breakthrough. The, the study also incidentally found, looked at job loss and found exactly the same thing, that the mentally tough who lost their jobs as a result of COVID were taking it in the stride and the mentally sensitive were responding much poorly. Now we've got other studies that show when the mentally sensitive begin to respond negatively, they go into a downward spiral. Now when you think about the global impact on workforces and populations, the impact of COVID is going to last a long time. We're going to have a lot of people who feel very strongly disadvantaged by what's, what's happened. Yeah. And so, you know, we need to find me mechanisms by which we can lift them. We can get them back into a state where they can see the world more positively. And the, the piece of research actually suggests that mental toughness development might well be one of those um, you know, solutions. Can, can I ask you, you mentioned that the, one of the solutions, so in terms of the awareness, so the awareness phase is going through the MTQ um, questionnaire, et cetera. And then um, I've done the test myself, by the way, and um, there's an amazing report that comes with it and it gives you <laughs> an evaluation in terms of the overall, and then it breaks it down for you. But it also comes with some really good questions and it's great coaching uh, yeah, yeah. question techniques that's used in that report um, that you can either do it yourself. I mean, I, I prefer to work with a coach um, to get through this. So can yeah. I lead you a little bit into the relationship between the coaching and mental toughness and yeah. the need for it? Well, because I would say when we, if you look at our development of the last 15 years, the group of, who have embraced us most have been coaches. And okay. it makes a lot of sense because if you look what a coach does, a coach is not somebody who tells you what to do. A coach is somebody that helps you to understand why you're responding in a particular way and then helps you to find your solution. So right. the first step is helping you to understand why you're responding the way you do. What we've got is the perfect tool to help mm. you to do that. In mm. fact, um, you actually touch upon something that we are often frustrates us, but it's critically important. You, you're right, the, um, the questionnaire in the model identifies eight elements of mental toughness. And those eight elements, you can be mentally tough or mentally sensitive on any of those eight elements. So it's perfectly possible to be mentally tough overall, but have degrees of mental sensitive, sensitivity in a couple of areas. What that means is actually almost all of us have some mental sensitivity, very few of us are totally mentally tough or totally mentally sensitive. So it's not helpful to talk about people in that sort of way. That's why we don't like typing uh, concepts and typing instruments. We are actually that, that little bit complex. And it's, it's those areas of mental sensitivity, it might only be one or two, are the, which are the things that stop us from doing what we want to do. But to try to identify what that is, is virtually impossible because it's going on in your head. You can't see it. You know, if, if I want to do something and I come to a shuddering halt, generally all I know is I've come to a shuddering halt. I don't know exactly why. 
Now, we, we have done some little studies, and these are not formal pieces of research, with uh, people who go out and help people to understand themselves. And one of the things that we're finding is that the default diagnosis is often confidence. But confidence is only one aspect of mental toughness. So very often, if you don't have something like a good framework, a well-evidenced framework, and a very strong questionnaire to help you to make a better decision or help people to make better decisions about themselves, it's very easy to misdiagnose. Mm. And if you misdiagnose, you can end up worse than when you started. So, you know, the, what, we, what we're doing is, you know, you've, you've mentioned, and you're quite right, the mental toughness questionnaires are high-quality psychometric measures. We tend not to talk about psychometrics. We tend mm. to talk about tools. And so when you talk about the way the reports are presented, we, they're quite unlike the reports that are produced by other psychometric test publishers. We yeah. kind of deliberately created them so they're very accessible and very easy to understand. So it's almost like a translation exercise, taking it from the language that psychologists would use to the language that ordinary people would use. And you know, to make it then accessible, it then becomes useful, becomes very useful. I almost want to touch a little bit back on the de developmental sort of stages of building mental toughness because um, almost my question is super simple. Is there an age where this is optimal for us to work on someone's mental toughness? Because as I'm thinking out loud, I'm also thinking, well, could I have done this earlier in my life and would it have helped me more being aware? Like, are there positives to including mental uh, toughness psychometric assessments during someone's um, adolescence age where they're choosing or where they're where they need to be a little bit more self-aware to understand uh, what path they need to take in, in life. Are they more sensitive in, in one element? Do they have mental sensitive elements in their personalities uh, that allow them perhaps to thrive in one element of their life versus another? Is there perhaps, my, and then my question is, again, is there perhaps an age where this could be much more effective or through your experience in testing many people through across a variance, uh, very uh, varied age bracket. Is there an age that you found uh, the assessment to be um, a bit more effective than, or is this a, a subjective sort of opinion that uh, anyone is entitled to have? Well, okay, so if you were to talk to, you know, all this psychologists of incredibly clever professors that I work with, they would all come back and say, the most important years are the first years of your life, the first seven or eight years of your life, because actually you're starting off with a blank canvas. Yeah. And those, those life experiences shape you significantly. In fact, there's one really interesting piece of research that suggests that the development activity starts four or five months before you're born. Wow. It's, uh, but we can look at wow. we can talk about that at another time, <laughs> be, be, because you you don't have any prior expectations or experiences. So what happens to you, and what you learn from what happens to you, does shape you strongly. But then there are other <clears throat> other influences that kick in. Your parents are there, and their parents are a big part of um, shaping you. Your peers, your friends begin to shape you, and 
big factor is teachers and schools. Wow. And there we have been probably on a little bit of a mission to be able to say the education system does need to become more focused on developing attitude and mindset as well as developing you know those raw skills like you know our arithmetic abilities um you know being able to read and write and so on because there is evidence to show that if you develop attitude you accelerate learning of the other things but then the other thing we know is you can learn and relearn your mental toughness or your mental sensitivity at any time in your life so yes it becomes a little bit <clears throat> more challenging as you grow older but it's perfectly possible i really liked how you mentioned you can uh, you can be tough and then you can fall out if fall fall from that point it's not a <coughs> point where you just work and uh, there's no return it's a spectrum and i really like the fact that you mentioned that because it's uh, you're always within within that range and you build it and you can lose it and uh, I personally relate so much uh, so as, as an individual going, you know, as a 24 year old uh, with very different um, phases of my adolescence going through mental health challenges and now being in another state and and experiencing different realities because it changes who you are. It literally, your decision making becomes different, your sense of being becomes different, the way you show up in teams with people, you're a different person. And I think people like, maybe who haven't experienced mental illness don't don't really recognize the the vast uh, change in lifestyle that 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 causes so I... yeah and you know we have throughout our um work and we have big networks of coaches and partners and so on around the world and they all come back with the same stories they come across senior leaders who suddenly find life difficult or challenging they get frustrated they begin to get depressed and it's because there's an aspect of their mental toughness a degree of mental sensitivity in one area that they've never really been sensitive to before that suddenly kicked in in the situation and so it is perfectly possible you know to be worn down by a situation but what we also do know is that there does seem to be if you are mentally tough particularly around the challenge and confidence factors there is a degree of protection against you know, feeling the the knockback effect of things going wrong now they're more capable of surviving uh, setbacks and keeping on going and then eventually finding a solution than people who are totally mentally sensitive mm -hmm. but the the other thing that um, you, you write at the beginning we we mentioned briefly the relationship between leadership and organizations now one of the things you know if you think about your big part of your mental toughness is a result of your life's experiences one of the biggest factors when you're in the workplace is the culture that you sit in Absolutely. and the culture is determined by the leadership of the organization Absolutely. and so i would say almost all of our work and a lot of the work of um, you know, our more, more active partners in organizational development starts at the top, making people self-aware about, yeah, they've got fantastic qualities they've got at the top of an organization, but actually they're also switching everybody else off.
because they're developing a culture that's based on their strengths, not mm -hmm. on what's available in the organization. And what we're learning is if you want to develop individuals and organizations, you've got to t tackle the picture as well as the individual. Mm. But people are beginning to understand that, beginning to wake up to that. And again, we've got some really interesting case studies coming through which illustrate that impact. And the nice thing about the, the questionnaire is, yes, it works in the, for an individual in the way that America's described, but you mm. can also test 100 people in a department, yeah. aggregate the scores and get a profile for wow. the department. You can also analyze it by gender, by age, by length of service, by whatever way you want. And that is so revealing. Um, one of our most successful case studies is an organization we worked with about two years ago, just over two years ago. And we went in to try and help them to understand why they'd suddenly begun to struggle when for about 10 years they'd have known nothing else but success. And what had happened is that there was a regulatory change impacted on the business. And this business had been very, very successful. So we assessed everybody and Amrika will know what I'm talking about. We looked at the scores for control. They were very good, very high. So they had a strength, strong sense of can do. Commitment, very high. So they would happily put in all the work that was necessary to achieve the, re the results that they needed. Their confidence levels were really high, but their challenge scores were low. And they were never been aware of that. Now, challenge is where you deal with the unexpected. Now, for 10 years, they have not had to deal with anything unexpected. Then something unexpected happened, and wham, bang, they came to a shuddering halt. They couldn't understand it because they still had this sense of can-do, still putting in all the hours. And when we showed the results to the chief executive, it was like taking the blindfold off him and, and his senior team. The great thing about that particular case study is he understood the results he didn't reject them quite often you find people don't like the results and he said right what do i do about it i want to lead the change so i had to work behind him help him to analyze the results and do something about it then curiously we did something that um, he didn't ask us to do and nobody asked us to do when i first started to talk to the the management team, it's quite a big management team, almost 60 people, about what we were going to do and asked them to complete a questionnaire. I noticed that about half of the group asked questions, half said nothing. So I went and analysed the results by gender and I found a huge difference. And I showed them to the chief exec and he said, well, what is this telling me? And I said, this is telling me that in your organization, the males are dominating everything. The females are not contributing. You might actually have wow. your solutions in the 60% of your management team that's female. The 40% of males are dominating everybody. So we went back and sort of threw this open to everybody and said, you know, is this the case? Have we got a an organization where there's a gender bias the males didn't think so but the females said yes there is and gave us lots and lots of examples so bit by bit the males in the 
management team began to realize and again this is what happens very often you subconsciously you're, you're not aware that you're actually mm. biasing or be, you're behaving in a way that is inhibiting somebody else and so they made that part of their mission within 12 months that organization was back to peak performance in fact performing better than ever before achieving its best ever performance levels and that cured their issue about gender bias very interesting well it was and it was a, a fantastic moment and that that's that chief executive is one of our biggest supporters he talks about us non-stop and is a great uh, advocate for us so he is somebody that we use you know uh, in that kind of way that you know i poo-pooed before you know <laughs> but I, I, I hear the you know I, there's a theme here about this whole the importance of the self-awareness um within, whether yeah. it's individually or within the organization and i think that's so critical um and so so often companies fail to they almost don't want to be aware of it so they rather not know um and i guess you know i don't know if you have any uh, case studies on this but what what's the downside of not knowing you know what are those big big impact um on businesses or even as an individual in terms of not not knowing and not having that self-awareness well it's it's generally self-awareness about your culture and men, your mental toughness is a big part of your culture so it's sometimes deliberately turning a blind eye to it saying mm -hmm. i don't want to change my culture i want to succeed despite the culture i've got and sometimes and this is true for a lot of mentally tough people because they've breezed through life yeah. they're totally blind to their downsides so okay. this is a, it's also a big part of our work and i'm i'm pleasantly surprised how many senior people will accept coaching around this so if you've got a very high level of mental toughness you tend to have a very strong sense of control a strong sense of can do the potential downside is you think you can do everything but you can't and mm. the downside in terms of your relationship with other people and you'll recognize this phrase straight away is very often people will say well i can do it why can't you because mm. the other person can't and all you're doing is intimidating and bullying them because they don't see that as bullying they don't understand the other person that's the issue and again with commitment which is where which equates to that concept of grit you spoke about before that's where i'm prepared to do whatever it takes to achieve the results so i'm prepared to work 16 hours a day seven days a week why aren't you coming in mm. without accepting that you know the people in your organization might well put in an eight hour day and do a good job and really should be thanked for that but you're now having a go at them for not putting in a 16 hour day mm -hmm. and that's a downside that's a big downside and of course one of the other downsides one of the big advantages for a mentally sensitive person is that mentally tough people don't recognize the warning signs of burnout whereas the mentally mm -hmm. sensitive see burnout long before it happens but we don't listen to them and when you look at challenge that's about dealing with change and, and as you all know some people don't like change they want to keep things the way they are they want to do the things the way they've always done them other people love it now if you've got a boss who loves change this is a boss who comes in every day and says oh, i've got a new idea come on let's have a go at this <laughs> and if the workforce is 
um, the kind of workforce that would prefer a bit of stability, all you're doing is creating headaches for them. And again, with confidence, confidence is uh, where you know things like narcissism can arise. I'm so confident in my abilities that uh, I think I can do anything. And if I've got interpersonal confidence, I will never let you speak. You're going to listen to me all the time. Mm-hmm. And that ends up as a form of bullying, a form of verbal bullying. So, you know, but then you look at those qualities and you think, well, on the one hand, these are the qualities that I want in somebody at the top of an organization, but I don't want the downsides. But the people who have these qualities are completely unaware sometimes that they have these downsides because it's just never affected them before. Yeah. But it's, you know, and sometimes you see the upside and the downside appearing at exactly the same time. <laughs> you know, that, that can be quite, quite challenging. But again, what we've been able to do, you see there, is we're able to develop that self-awareness, create that insight, and we're talking about something, I keep talking about this, that's invisible. We're bringing to the fore something that is invisible, or as one of our other partners uh, t- describes it, we're making the invisible visible. And I think what we're also um, drawing attention to is an idea that's been circulating in people in organizational development for some time, is that we're actually talking about an enabler. To be mentally tough is not an outcome for anyone. The outcomes outcomes that I described earlier, I want better well-being, mental health. I want to perform better. I want to deal with the world. I want to prosper. Mental toughness is the enabler. Yeah. To help you to do that, and sometimes it's, right it's funny. It's funny because <laughs> I was just talking to Amrika before, you know, in preparation. We met earlier on today in a cafe, and I was uh, talking to Amrika, just telling her. I, I told her that one sentence, Amrika. All the work we're doing, we are we are nothing but enablers. And the moment yeah, you yeah. said that, I knew she was looking right in the camera at me, telling me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah, Amrika, you'll know. We're, we're almost unique in this because everybody yeah. else tries to focus on the outcome without yeah. understanding you have to put something in place to achieve the outcome. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Emotional intelligence is something that you we didn't really mention, but from what I am hearing, it's almost that it's almost that if you're mentally tough, that doesn't mean you're emotionally intelligent. And there's almost like a balance between mental toughness and mental sensitivity, whereby if you're very mentally tough and you're super, uh, you know, on that very end of that spectrum, you are not aware of, of burnout. Whereas if you're emotionally intelligent, you're able to manage your, your or self-regulate. So I think that maybe one final thought that I have and I'd love to hear it from you. What is the link between emotional intelligence and mental toughness? Well, Ali, that's just, I would, this was a, an easygoing session until this point. You kind of <laughs> led me into potential quagmire here. Well, I mean, I let me give you a headline, right? No, okay, there's a there's a, a, a very useful <laughs> response. Yeah. Firstly, you're right. A lot of people at one time believed that if you were mentally tough, you would probably not be emotionally intelligent. In fact, the opposite's the case. Um, There's some research from the University of Lincoln. There's a a guy called Dr. Lee Crust, 
who did have that initial belief. He went away and researched it and he found that there's a straight line relationship between mental toughness and emotional intelligence. Okay. In fact, he showed that the more mentally tough you are, the more emotionally intelligent you were. And the reason for that is if you're mentally tough, you're so confident in yourself that you're open to everybody else. You're not worried about what other people's feelings are or anything like that. So you tend to be more open. However, there's a wider issue. Um, if, I'm not a psychologist, I need to say this. I'm actually an economist and I work with probably 50 of the best psychologists in the world. Mm. I learn a lot from them, but I also understand that in the world of psychology, there is quite division. There are some people who say emotional intelligence exists. There's an mm. awful lot of academics who say it doesn't exist. Mm. Right? There is just a form of behavior. And even amongst the people who say it does exist, there's quite a lot will say it's not that important. It's not that significant in intelligence. So there's a complexity in your response. But there's a, um, a growing movement, which I think has been initiated by a guy called Professor Paul Brown who suggests that there is something there, but it's more accurately called intelligent emotions. Yes. Uh, I don't know whether, Enrique, you've come across this. But um, what's, the best way to illustrate it is through a story. Uh, imagine that you're going to go and see Hamlet. I use this example all over the world because everybody knows what Hamlet is and Shakespeare wrote it. Imagine you're going to go and see a performance of Hamlet and it's going to be performed by one of the world's greatest actors, a method actor. And he's going to stand there on stage and deliver one of the great speeches, you know, to be or not to be. A, a great actor will invest everything into that performance. There'll be the body language, there'll be um, voice inflections, there'll be the glances, everything. And so he, a great actor will be sending emotional signals into the audience. Imagine there's 3,000 people in the theatre all watching this performance. And if it's done a great job, do all 3,000 people understand or recognise the emotional signals that are coming towards them? And the answer is probably yes. And also, are they beginning to understand their emotional responses to this? They might sympathise with Hamlet. They might despise Hamlet. They might be angry with Hamlet. They might be happy for Hamlet but they are developing their emotional responses and they'll be aware of those. And what's been suggested is, well, if everybody's doing it to some degree, is that really significant? On the other hand, now imagine for a minute that you are sat in that audience and you're looking up at this actor playing Hamlet, whose emotions are you reading? Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Is it my emotions? Am I being yeah, too sensitive or is it his? It's got to be Hamlet's because wow. that's what that actor is trying to send you. But it's not Hamlet standing there. It's the yeah. actor. Wow. And that actor could quite conceivably next week go and play an entirely different character with different emotions and send out different emotional signals. And what people are saying, well, that's the really intelligent bit. That person is so much control in control of himself 
that he can control what emotions he reveals and he sends out. And if he's super clever, may even be able to control your emotional responses to the signals they're putting out. That's dangerous. That, dangerous. That's dangerous, Doug. <laughs> well, that can be dangerous. I'm joking, but like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you think about, think about that in practical terms. You know, I'm a manager. I've gone home for the weekend. Uh, my dog's died. My partner's left me. I've been listening to country and western all weekends. You know, I'm on the edge of suicide. <laughs> I've got to go to work on, you know, once the weekend's over, and I've got to, you know, boost my team. Yeah. If you are mentally sensitive, you're going to struggle to do that. If you're mentally tough, what we know from a piece of research, it's called directed forgetting, that the mentally tough are perfectly able to put negative events into their, a box in their head and set it to one side to be dealt with at another time and to present what they want to present to the people around them. Yeah. That's actually critically important. You, there are many, many situations where you don't want to reveal your true inner state for very good reasons. And then especially the higher up the organization you are, the more important that is. I'll never forget, if you remember the Gulf of Mexico crisis with British Petroleum, you might be too young to remember that. But after two or three days, the press finally found the chief executive of BP. And he was crying. You know, and... You know, they found him on a yacht trying to avoid everybody, and he was crushed by what had happened, and he was showing it. And I thought at the time, my goodness, if um, I was working for BP, I would have a big loss of confidence in my leadership at that point. So that's a kind of a slightly more complete response to your question about emotional intelligence. Yeah. There's a lot in there. But it's very full and I, it's I, it's something, I don't think there are two people that would disagree that mental toughness is a, is, is a skill set that they inevitably want and desire because we definitely can see the importance of it. We definitely can see the, the need, the appetite for it, especially in today's world where... Um, mm where people are really suffering uh, and and I don't say this in a in in a, in a negative uh, pessimistic way I'm as optimistic as I can be and I, I I see myself as a positive person but the reality is that depression is the leading cause of disability in the world and and there are statistics that we cannot avoid so uh, developing that skill set is is inevitably only going to enhance our uh, leadership capabilities especially enhancing the well-being of our team members because they are the ones that need um they will be the ones when we decide to take forward that action become accountable and lead and create that cultural shift and i loved how you used in in, in your in your language culture and identity because that is a very 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 um especially sensitive term uh, with respect to any culture and not just people in, in, in the West or in people in the Middle East or people in the East. I think yeah. I think it, it really plays a, a huge, 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 huge role on one's mental uh, capacity and, and ability to respond in different ways. You know, in, in Hong Kong, they, people are different uh, inherently the way they act, high and low levels of uh, standards of mm. communication versus here in the, in, the, in the UAE or the Middle East or in Egypt versus in Canada. So I feel that like 
as you were talking, there are so many different ways uh, in terms of the analysis and the psychometric uh, results can can use to sort of bind every culture together in a, in a manner that those who are strong in one point can, can also know that there is a developmental uh, potential in another area mm. and that there's no set standard, there is no set way and there is no right. And I think that's the beauty of perhaps our conversation today in, in understanding the power of of really self-awareness well it's just it's you know although we talk about mental toughness all the time the real issue is self-awareness and yeah. self-awareness about this enabler and that is the core you know, and, and mental toughness is, is predominantly a way of understanding and accessing that and if you can create self-awareness people then can then sometimes with help find solutions irrespective of the situation they're in and that's what we've got to do. We've got to create opportunity for people to have solutions um, so that they can, as Jim Law said, be the best that they can be. I mean, the thing that I would finish on is there are people who often think, who, who still come up to us and say, wow, this is new, this is very modern. It isn't. It's as old as the hills. Because if you look back through history, the first person who referred to this concept was Plato. And Plato identified the four virtues, which were like his four secrets to life, and one of them was fortitude. And fortitude, when you look at his description of fortitude, it's exactly the same as our description of mental toughness today. One of his other virtues was wisdom. And when you look at what he's talking about with wisdom, he's actually talking about self-awareness. That's what he means by wisdom. So two of his four virtues, and we're going back two and a half thousand years. This is <laughs> not in my lifetime even. He's, he's already identified these two things. The problem is then you go through history, the Stoics in the Roman times, you actually talk about exactly the same thing. We've always known this is important. We've just not until recent times been able to get our head around what it is. We can now. Absolutely. Doug, I feel like we could go on and on. There's so much, so many more questions. So I guess we'll have to um, definitely um, have another session on this. Absolutely. But, uh, I can't thank you enough personally for your time today. Um, it's been an amazing hour, to be honest with you. Um, very insightful. Um, it, it you know, instills a lot of excitement within myself as well to be able to now share uh, next week at our event um, on the 11th. Um, so yeah, we really look forward to um, speaking to you again very soon and uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Oh, it's been a pleasure and I really look forward to working with you at America too. Thank so. you, Doug. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow, that was great. That was great. Are you happy with that? That was great. That was like... I'm almost, I, you know, the feeling when you, I read a lot. I, I love reading. I'm a, I consider myself a nerd, but you know, when you, you know, when you finish a book and you're like, wait, where exactly did that transformation happen? And that's that kind of like talk or that's mm. the kind of effect that, because I, I feel that it's, it's a big misunderstanding. And, and to be honest, a lot of people um, are, or they have an allergic reaction, especially when I started the mental health journey. I mean, 
I take it, I have a very personal journey in this. And I felt that the only reason why people are struggling, especially, you know, as Arabs here, is that they aren't really self aware. And I, that's why the podcast is called Empathy Always Wins. I, I was like, well, people aren't putting themselves in, in, in the other's shoe. And, uh, you know, I did, did approach it from an emotional intelligence standpoint, which now I see the difference. And that's why I'm like, wow, like, where's my head? And, and I, I definitely do see the, the, the spectrum here between sensitivity and, and toughness. And I see that um, it's, it, I see the interchangeability between um, the cons and the pros of the mental, mentally sick. Cause mm-hmm. I, I am like that too, Doug. Like I'm a singer. Like I, the only reason why I do podcasting is because this was my mic that I used to sing and record records and send it to art producers. And I realized, well, my magazine wasn't working. So let me just do a podcast. So, but I have that, I have that spectrum where it's the very sensitive or the very in control, very, and when you when you put that or when you phrase that that way, I was like, wow. So I mm-hmm. that's my that's my feeling coming out of this, knowing that uh, it's a continuum and, and 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 being aware of it is is beauty in its own form. That there is no set in stone way, and the the way to go is being aware of where you are in that spectrum and understanding the developmental tools and skill set at your disposal to use just as any athlete has as a swimmer or as a footballer or it's 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 life it's it's beautiful Amrika, thank you for being such an amazing co-host this was a new experience um how, how did you feel well thank you for having me um uh, in no way did it feel uncomfortable, Ali. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> in fact, I, you know, it can be a bit daunting for a for a thirty eight year old to sit with a twenty four year old. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. Oh. I, I mean, I think that's the uniqueness of what Empower and Head Consultants bring uh, with Hala, Dalia, and myself. Um, it's that compliment. You know, we complement one another from the diversity between us in terms of age is brilliant. Um, and I think that's the uniqueness of working with us. And that's what we're going to bring to the table next week, Monday, when we discuss mental toughness. It's not just talking about it, but it's bringing the, the experience, the, the backing of, you know, research and so much more in terms of experiences. Um, yeah, that will be, it'll be I'm so looking forward to it. Monday's going to be brilliant. And um, today's discussion, I hope everyone really, really enjoyed it with Doug because he's um, he's brilliant. Um, he's offered something that I think was was a missing link almost. He kind of um, managed to kind of close that that uh, circle that we've been discussing. So it's quite it's quite good insights. And um, yeah, I think uh, there might be a bit of surprise for Monday. So let's see what comes comes about. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have our hands on something here. I feel that uh, people have been, including myself, we've been speaking on mental health, leadership, where's the intersectionality or the, where do they overlap? And I just feel that that just literally drives that point home. And uh, especially with the psychometric analysis uh, or the assessments, um, this is something that I'm really excited for to be having in the region. Uh, I'm really looking forward to how how far we can push the needle. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going as uh, we're going as far as, as we can with uh, with this. I believe that this is 
going to be just the the, the, the the opening door to create that cultural shift that we need um, from an ROI standpoint as well as from a well-being standpoint as well because uh, we need to show effectiveness uh, that isn't invisible and I know Doug mentioned that the word invisible 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 this is making the invisible visible um, yeah. so I'm super excited and I just want to say um, you really 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 did an amazing job a lot of people think that podcasting is easy it's not uh, yeah you know it looks easy when we do it but it takes this is one year's worth of week in week out so uh, just to have you show up the way you did today I just really want to say thank you and I, I genuinely mean it thank you for having me on this journey thank you what an episode I would love to see you guys come out um, if you can, if you are in the United Arab Emirates in Dubai, if you're not, don't worry, we will be making sure that all the content that we share on the mental toughness at the mental toughness series is shared with you guys here live and exclusive and on air, uh, on empathy always wins. And once again, thank you so much for tuning in. If you like this episode, please feel free to rate, subscribe and review it, um, on Apple podcasts. Once again. Thank you so much, and we will see you on a new episode exclusively on Empathy Always Wins every Saturday and Wednesday. With that being said, I would love to leave you on this final note that in life and in business, empathy always wins.